there, there might be somebody out there who might listen to this as well. So we're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 31. And as I said, uh, there are uh, some backstories that the women went to the tomb. Uh, all of these women, this gang of women, went to the tomb and they saw what they saw and they came back with the witness of we saw angels and the empty tomb and the stone rolled away and he's not there and he says he's alive and so we're pretty sure that he is um, and it's really exciting and none of the disciples believed them at all. They thought it was an idle tale, which is awful because uh, uh, we're, uh, as men, we really ought to, to listen to the women because they know what they're talking about most times. Um, and uh, we really should just listen to them at all times. Okay, I just need to put that out there, and now the internet knows that I should listen to my wife. Anyways, all that being said, Peter goes and runs to the tomb, and, and also in the Gospel of John, it tells us that John went with them. They looked inside and were perplexed, and were like, we don't know what we're seeing. We don't have words to describe this. It's amazing. I don't know what to think of all this. So now we come to today's scripture, and we're going to find out what happens here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, uh, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad and they saw the, that they had saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so even I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, uh, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. And when Jesus came, so uh, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in the marks of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and all the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put my hand and or put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But, there, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. I'm a movie guy. You all know that. Movies are my jam. I talk about them all the time. I relate to them constantly. And the reason is, is that Movies to me are words on the screen and it puts into uh, the active visual part of my brain the things that are actually words on a page. A screenplay is always interesting, but you have to have the imagination to be able to take those words and put them onto a visual thing so that you can engage with it. It's no fun just reading a script about the Batman unless you can watch the show and go, oh, I see what was going on here, now I see. And when we read scripture, we have to be willing to engage our imagination, engage the feelings, engage the experience, engage what the disciples went through. Otherwise, it's simply information. I read a lot for information right now. When you're in school, that's what you do. It's not that you wanna enter into it, you just wanna get it done. That's why so many students actually just cram. They, what they do is they overload their brains on like one 
small things so that they hope that once they get to the test, they can regurgitate it all right there on the page and then they get an A or, or a C or whatever it is just to pass the class and then they're done, they move on. Well, scripture is different. Scripture is meant to engage our imagination, meant to, to plant us in the midst of a story and, and uh, allow us to experience and feel what's going on. I think it's easy for us to go ahead and read these words this morning and go, oh, that's interesting, and move on. Let's see what's on my phone, what's on my Instagram feed, what's going on on Facebook, and then you just kind of move past. But the scriptures are compelling us here this morning to put ourselves into the story. I want to work a little bit backwards in this. So if you it, just kind of work with me here a little bit. If we go to verse 30 and 31 to begin with, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence. But if you skip down here, it says, But these are written so that you may believe. So the purpose of all of what John wrote in his, his gospel and all of the scriptures for that matter is one purpose, to help us to believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And when we say life in his name, we're not just saying that, we, uh, uh, that uh, we're going to have like new clothes and, and act a different way, but maybe in the sense what he's saying is that this is a God with life, a with God life. And these words are meant to uh, uh, push us in that direction. Not so that we can just have tons of information about Jesus, which is kind of nice, but it's not life. Often we treat scripture and uh, reading or hearing as spiritual exercise alone, which is true. It is taking it in. It is activating your spirit. It is working your soul. It is exercise in a sense, but done in a vacuum that doesn't profit us anything except for maybe pithy comments that you can put on Facebook or Instagram or vague peace or or you can just say when you're sad the Lord is my shepherd and you're like oh that's great we'll move on but really what John is encouraging the reader and the hearer to do is not just exercise or take scripture in for the sake of it but to be engaged and to encounter Jesus in the pages John is telling us that the reason he wrote all that he wrote was so that the reader and the hearer would come to trust Jesus himself, the risen Savior, the one who actually did come back from the dead, the one who actually walked out or even was, just wasn't there uh, and when the stone was rolled away. It was meant to uh, uh, take the hearer and the reader and engage them in his active presence in the pages that you read, his active presence in our present life and the one to come. John wants you and I to encounter Jesus in the pages of this text so that we come to know him as he presents himself as savior, as friend, as companion who never leaves, the faithful one. So now we know that. So if we take that and fast forward it to this encounter that we experience, it's really interesting. Verse 19 and 23, the disciples encounter Jesus. Okay, put on your imagination caps for a moment and just go with me. And it's really weird. So the first day of the week, this is still that Sunday, the very first day, the women have come and they've, and, and they're still there and they're still kind of going, they didn't get it. They didn't trust us. What's going on? Peter came back. And he's like, listen, I saw the things that they saw, but I'm not sure what to do with it. We're still not really sure. Somebody locked the door. Surely we're dead next. This is what they're fearing. This is the fear. So it's like we're down here in the middle of this beautiful basement. But imagine we're kind of like the disciples and we're in that room. And we've locked the doors upstairs. The electronic lock has gone off because we're afraid that if we step outside, they're going to go, oh, you were with Jesus. Kill him too or her too. 
They had isolated themselves. This fear of death had put themselves in the in the locked base. We were in that locked room, and they were just holed up, and they're going, "Well, how long are we going to stay here? I don't know. I mean, who brought food? Did anybody? We're going to eat? Well, what's going on? Whatever they were doing, they were protecting themselves. They had not believed the women. They had not trusted in, in the, the witness of what they had said, and so they are just hunkered down, hoping that this wave of violence against Jesus' followers will wane. And then something crazy happens, completely and utterly unexpected. Jesus comes and stands amongst them and offers them peace instead of fear. Think about this for a moment. Unless a police uh, come to your house for whatever reason, it it won't happen because we're all law-abiding, but if you weren't, uh, and they wanted it in your house, they would bust open the door with a foot stomp or that battering ram thing or whatever it is, whatever it was, it would be violent and destroy your door and it'd be terrible and and, like fear-inducing. But in this instance, the door remains locked and Jesus is just there. It says he's just there. It's not like the old school commercials where the Kool-Aid guy would come blasting through the, the, the wall and it's rubble everywhere and, and his pitcher wasn't broken, which is amazing. But he'd be like, hey, Kool-Aid guy's here. Well, that's not what we see here. What we see is just Jesus, it says that Jesus came and stood among them. Somehow, the physical resurrected Jesus walks through walls that blow your mind <coughs> or just appears, whatever it is. But the thing is, is that what shows up or who shows up is not an apparition it's not a ghost it's not some spirit because he shows his hands he's like hey remember me it's like the calling card jesus is like my hands beside remember me i'm jesus i'm here i'm standing in front of you isn't this amazing you didn't believe the women you didn't believe the the kind of testimony of peter and john and so i'm just going to show up and make sure you all get it <coughs> this is not a group hallucination if we notice here, Jesus says the one thing they need the most, peace. It's the sense of like, hey, I know you're afraid, but you don't have to be afraid anymore. Something amazing has happened, and here I am. The fear is replaced with gladness. This is that crazy, amazing, excited, ultra-emotional jump up and down um, Dawn has arisen. It's no longer going to be cold and freezing now, and now it's going to be warm and sunny. It's awesome, and this holy you know what moment uh, where everything that was lost has been found. This is that same feeling that, that the woman who found the coin and uh, the, the father who gained, regained his son, this is the emotional feeling that is in that room where it was a pall and a death and a terrible thing and a wake is turned into a giant, amazing resurrection party. All that was wrong has turned right and peace has overturned fear and created joy just by Jesus showing up. And I wonder if Jesus let that joy of his resurrection just, just, just flow, right? Just like turning the, whole, the, the hose on in the backyard when you were little, uh, just so you could get a drink of that disgusting water coming out. But it was just that same refreshment. You're like, let it just flow. Let it just go and, and just soak everything. When I was, uh, when we lived in Arizona, uh, the way that we watered our lawn was through a community service. Basically, you had a canal that ran underground all the way, and at certain points during the day, you would come home, this is once every month or two, uh, and you would turn on the valve. And uh, your neighbor would turn his gate off, you would turn yours on, and it bubbled up out of the water, out of the ground, was this huge flood of water. And you had berms all around your house. So what it would do is it, it would, one channel would flow water all the way to the back of your yard and flood it. 
with about four inches of water. And the front yard would also flood for about four inches of water. Just so that you would soak. You didn't have sprinklers and it would just soak in. That's what I think happened here. The life of Jesus just came and flooded that room and soaked them and overran their fear with joy. And I think he just let it flow. He let the gladness flood, or, or flood that room that, to inflate the spirits and refresh the desolate places. When the right moment comes, though, Jesus gives them purpose. First peace, then purpose, uh, peace with God. That confident calm in the soul that knows that all is well and all will be well. God is pleased with his son and has conferred the same sonship on them, these women, and these men. And then he gives them purpose. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The work of the gospel cannot happen in isolation and fear. Rather, it must be leaked out. It must be let out. The floodgates must be lifted so that all of the life-giving life of Jesus Christ can flow into all of the desert places in the rest of the world. The disciples, the men and the women in that room are being sent out to, uh, to all people to give away their story of the risen Savior who made peace with God for all humankind. So in a sense, Jesus is sending them not out to re- or is sending them out to retell their story of him, all their experiences, the things they learned, the things that they have seen and felt and touched and witnessed, and to tell it to someone, anyone they can, the good news for all time. Now, I don't I, I if you've ever been to a, an amazing event and then had to retell that event to somebody who couldn't make it for some reason. It's hard to translate that feeling and hard to translate that experience to them in a way that they go, oh, I totally believe that. So Thomas, poor Thomas, he wasn't there for whatever reason. Maybe he got sent to the store and got caught in traffic. I don't, it doesn't say. All that happens is that Jesus was there. Jesus left. Thomas comes in and they're like, we got a story. Thomas is like, you're full of you know, you know what, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, you guys have, must have been, you know, seen too close to the candle that's in the room and gotten, you know, your eyes burnt or whatever. I says, listen, I'm not going to believe any of the things you are saying unless I see the hands, I place my hands in the hands, I place my hands on the side. That's it. That is my thing. Because it's twice now. First, Thomas hears the witness of the women and doesn't believe. Then, he hears the witnesses of the rest of them and doesn't believe. He doesn't want to get burnt. He's like, this is, I, I can't, I, you guys are telling me something amazing. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I'm sorry. The cool thing is, is that the disciples just don't boot him out of, of the room. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. You're not in the I Believe Jesus Club anymore, so you need to, to leave. But no, he's still there. And they're like, we're cool. We don't, if you don't believe, that's cool, but you're still our buddy. You're still our friend. So eight days later, Jesus does this appearing thing again. And this time he proves himself to Thomas. He shows up and says, peace be unto you. And, and, and immediately it's like, he's like, hey guys, how's it going? Hey Thomas, listen, um, we need to have a chat. Ba-bam, here's my hands. Touch them. See that I'm real. Here's my side. How you like that? Didn't even heal. This is for you. This scar is Thomas' scar. It's for you. You want to touch it? You want to put your hand in there? Come on, right here. I'm waiting. Thomas believes. And I love the words he says, my Lord and my God, Adonai ve Elohim. Thomas believes. 
Jesus is confident enough, and or Jesus tells him who he is, shows him who he is, and Thomas has the humility to know, okay, I've been proven. It's been proven here. What I found interesting is that Jesus doesn't brush off Thomas's uh, uh, skepticism. He doesn't chastise Thomas, but just he entertains that skeptical nature. And then Jesus just gives Thomas a reasonable reason to believe. He says, you asked for this. Here it is. Is there anything else you need? Do you want me to tell you what the grave was like? See, I think Thomas's experience is useful to equipping the disciples for their mission because they're going to go out into the world and they're going to meet a whole bunch of people who are just like Thomas. I will never believe unless. There will always be those who believe the story right away and those who will take some convincing and then those who will need a reasonable proof, rational facts to help them trust uh, in this uh, new peace with God through Jesus. So here's the thing. This is 2,000 some odd years ahead now into our day and age. See, the disciples were charged with telling of the story of Jesus so all humankind can experience the ultimate peace with God and experience life with God in this life and the one to come. There will be those who are blessed, who, uh, who, believe, who saw and believed. But the rest of us, you and I, are those who are blessed because we believed and have not yet seen. None of us were there that day. You and I did not experience the, rolled, the stone rolled away. You and I did not experience a locked room where Jesus just walks through walls and you know, presents some new world, uh, otherworldly way to be human. We weren't at his birth. We weren't at his teen years or his three-year ministry in Israel. That wasn't for us. But the gospel writers and all faithful Christians all over and from then until now have given us their stories so that we can imagine it so that we can dwell in the stories so that we can put ourselves in them so that we might be able to encounter Jesus in the same way they did. The disciples did their job by taking their encounters with Jesus and made them accessible to all people. You are all living examples of having that story in your possession either now or at home. I mean, Matthew himself wrote to the, a Jewish audience, Mark, a Greek one. Luke was this well-researched doctor and composed an, ex, an expose of the life of Christ. And then John tells this otherworldly gospel about Jesus being the Savior and what that looks like and what that means. In any case, they were all created to introduce us to the living Jesus who is presently with us. So blessed are those who believe but have not seen. That's you and I. But then there's this idea of controversy and skepticism and proof are not shied away from. Listen, there's this, there's this thing where we go, just believe. Just believe. Well, the Christian faith isn't saying just believe. It's saying just believe. And if you're having a hard time, there's reasonable proof. There are no elephants in the room that are ignored with or not dealt with. The Christi Christianity is one of those world religions where we go, bring it on. Let's talk about it. Let's bring it all out in the open. This isn't blind faith. Our faith is a, reasonable, is a reasonable faith, which means that it's not blind, but it is also not forensic or exacting. We may have reasonable answers, but we don't have all the answers. We don't have 100% certainty on anything, but we make room for reasonable explanations, but also leave room for mystery and the occasional, I don't have words to deal with this or to explain this. Our faith invites investigation and research. Our faith says, that's interesting. Let's talk about it. Our faith says, I know what I know. I know what I experienced, but I, let's leave room for mystery if we can. 
Our faith invites conversation and discussion and wonder and amazement. It gives space to let mystery and encounter with Jesus happen on his terms. And then third, it's all meant to, hear, meant to help you and I, the hearer and the reader, encounter Jesus and come to know him as we are already known. We look back at the last words of, Jesus, of uh, John here in this chapter 20, that we might have life in his name. So the point of reading Encounters with God is not so much religious information and fact-gathering. I remember uh, in a, uh, when I was in college, there was a youth group that we belonged to, and the kids were a part of the Bible-like challenges. You may have experienced this in your churches when you were growing up. Uh, you basically had Bible bowls, and everybody would just go out and like memorize huge swaths of things. It was like Jeopardy for Bible nerds. And, and they made, and kids did this. And it was amazing what they were able to know. They just absorbed so much scripture as knowledge. And that's okay. But if all we are doing is just absorbing scripture knowledge, then all we are are just the Alex Trebek of scripture. And, we, and that's okay. But the scriptures are meant for us to be able to engage Jesus as he is. The scriptures are meant to introduce us to the Savior so that we might have life with him. We are not meant to just be Wikipedia for the Bible. We are meant to be those who know our Savior, who actively engage him in relationship. The point of telling these stories is that you and I are able to encounter Jesus with the words and the stories that we read and hear, to have the same sort of with God life that the disciples had. Like I said, Christianity is not just meant to be a religion of reason and rationality and dogma and theology but a lived life with God. One of my favorite people of all time, and God bless her soul, I don't know if she's passed on, uh, or, but she felt like she was a, a really old lady when I knew her back when I was in high school, but her name was Sherry Springer, and Sherry was this beautiful Catholic saintly woman, and she didn't know a whole lot, but she knew Jesus. She lived a life with him in some way that I may never uh, get to. I have an old friend named Dave Cottrell, and Dave was the same way. Knew a lot of scripture, but he knew Jesus as well. He had this with God life that I wish to have. The pages that we read and the sermons we listen to on Sunday mornings and when we do our devotions are not just meant to, to, to be that spiritual boost that we need for the day, but to, that we might be able to encounter Jesus in a real way. We might be able to hear the real word of God Jesus himself. So, what do we do with this? What do we do with this resurrection of Jesus? What do we do with these questions we might have? Well, John sums it up for us in the very end. And it's very short. I think we need to make every effort to encounter Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Now, I, I don't mean going through uh, a Jesus hunt through, like, where is Waldo uh, in the Old Testament and look for Jesus under every rock, that sort of thing. But let the Scriptures... Uh, be our gateway to a relationship with God. I thought about this the other day and it just popped in my brain. I'll let you know what I thought. It says, if you hurry, you'll miss it. When we read scripture, sometimes we just plow through it like I do nachos on a day when I haven't uh, eaten enough food. Uh, If you hurry, you miss it. When we take scripture in, we're not meant to just plow through large swaths of it and just go, you walk around with your head buzzing with all these things. You, You really need to read scripture like if you were in a public pool, you have a shallow end, you have the medium portion, and then you have the deep end. 
the shallow end of the scriptures to get you in and get you acquainted with what's going on in there. Then you kind of move your way in and then you finally get to the deep end with the diving board and the cool cannonball stuff you can do. But that's kind of what is going on here in scripture. When we get into it, we can step into it slightly and get warm and enjoy it. And then we just move into deeper relationship with God as we read more and as we hear more in those pages. In short, we're meant to, uh, we are invited to meet Jesus using our own holy imagination, savor the text because we put ourselves in the middle of the passages and we just sit with Jesus in the middle of it all. And the living and resurrected Jesus will meet us there. Think about that for a moment. When we open our passages and we open our scriptures and we take in what we take in, we are actually meeting Jesus there through his words and his experiences and through the Holy Spirit. So your mission is to read it to hear it, to listen to it, to engage it. Not for information, uh, as a, uh, uh, but as a primer to being able to have life with Jesus. Jesus shows us what life with him looks like, and he's offering that to us. The risen Savior is offering us life with him. This is God's word today. Amen.